Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you for downloading Podcast Master. My name is Ben Green. I'm a podaholic, I'm an audio nerd, and I've been making radio programs and podcasts for close to 15 years. This is the abridged version of my ebook about starting up a podcast and making your current one better. It's also called Podcast Master. The ebook's published by Canelo Books and it's available for Kindle and Kobo, Android and iPad, and you can download it from Amazon and everywhere else you'd expect to find digital books. The text version has even more information in it, as well as footnotes and links, so I highly, highly recommend you check it out in addition to these podcasts, and it'll only cost you a couple of quid. This first episode is all about the history of podcasts. Let's get started. You've probably noticed that podcasting is having something of a moment right now. True, they had one about a decade ago too, but this... This is something special. Ever since the term was first used in 2004, podcasting was looked upon as the future of audio. But that initial boom fizzled out as the technology was overtaken by more exciting digital innovations. Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, Netflix, the iPad, the iPhone, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until the autumn of 2014 and Serial, the American podcast series that reinvestigated a 1999 murder case in Baltimore, that podcasting was catapulted to the forefront of the cultural conversation. Yes, the technology remains much the same as a decade ago, but the ubiquity of mobile and Wi-Fi and the audacity and quality of the programming means that podcasting as a medium in itself is now being taken very seriously indeed. Some numbers for you. There are more than 250,000 unique podcasts in more than 100 languages on the iTunes store. Apple reports that there are well over 1 billion active podcast subscriptions. 11% of people in the UK listen to a podcast or on-demand radio every week, and podcast consumption in America has almost doubled in the last seven years. I think you get the picture. These loyal and engaged audiences are considerably younger than traditional radio audiences. Some of them may not even own a radio. And also, in the main, they're well-educated, tech-literate and media-savvy. They're like manna from heaven for advertisers, not least because, unlike in other media, where the trend has been to cater to shorter and shorter attention spans, Podcasts celebrate long-form storytelling. Listener engagement is high, especially due to the fact that most people are listening through their headphones. Podcasts are therefore generating big bucks for creators and sponsors alike. This is an overnight success story 10 years in the making, but it doesn't matter if you've been listening to podcasts since the beginning or you've just encountered them after being swept along in the post-serial wave. This series will have something for the casual listener, the curious audio consumer and the podcast fanatic. I'll tell you all about the history of podcasting, how we got from the ramblings of Ricky Gervais and his two best friends to the President of the United States sitting down in a Los Angeles garage to record an hour-long conversation with a comedian. Whether you're a budding broadcaster, an established media company, or a brand looking to advertise or create your own content, I'll share some production tips and advice on presentation. I'll help you choose the right software and the best hardware for your budget, ensure you get onto the right podcasting platform, and even share some insider knowledge about how to best reach and build your audience. 
And apart from anything else, I'll guide you towards the best podcasts around, because that, in the end, is what this is all about. So without further ado, here begins your journey into the podosphere. Some of my closest relationships are with people I've never met. I'm in my mid-30s, I'm married, I've got two young boys and a cat who's far too fussy about when she's in the mood for a cuddle. Going out is generally something I used to do. But away from my family, when I put in my earbud headphones, my headspace is filled with hours and hours of speech. Intimate conversation, idle chatter, inspiring life stories, or just plain old bullshit. Podcasts. There's something incredibly compelling about podcasts, and I listen to a lot of them. But listening's not just a hobby. I've been making podcasts for The Guardian for almost a decade now, and prior to that I spent four years in commercial radio. In the past few years I've also made programmes for Five Live, consulted on a comedy show, produced a nine-part podcast series about pregnancy and early parenthood, and somehow found myself as the voice of a running guide. A life in audio means I spend my working days with my headphones on, recording and editing other people's speech, scripting shows, and generally helping presenters sound funnier and or more knowledgeable than they actually are. Audio production, and this is especially true of commercial radio, even more so of podcasting, doesn't have the scale or hierarchy you find in television. You're the runner, the researcher, the guest booker, the editor and studio manager all in one. You manage the programme budget, if you've got one, and probably the show's distribution and afterlife on social media too. In other words, you're responsible for everything on air and behind the scenes. It's a huge responsibility, but it is, for the most part, enormous fun. Media students and wannabe podcasters often ask me how I became a producer. Well, here's a potted history which, rather conveniently, ties in more broadly with the history of podcasting as a whole. I was involved in student and local radio whilst completing my undergrad degree in American Studies in Birmingham. I was then accepted onto the postgraduate broadcast journalism course at City University, where I made no bones about wanting to work behind the glass in the control room as opposed to being on the microphone. Having finished at City, I began working for LBC in London, producing their early morning news show. When LBC stopped paying members of Light Entertainment's 1980s heyday around £250 to review the day's newspapers, I, like the rest of the staff, produced some middling to truly terrible daytime phone-ins. It was the end of 2003 and I had my first MP3 player, a Korean-made monstrosity called the iRiver H340 that was far cheaper but far inferior to the iPod, which first hit the shelves in 2001. My final year at LBC in 2005 was a good one. I'd moved from early mornings to the nightly news programme and two of the tasks added to my daily production duties were the writing of a producer blog and the uploading of the evening's programme to the LBC website. Here it could be downloaded by people who'd missed the show when it went out live at 7pm. It was crude, but it was my first experience of hands-on podcast production. After LBC, I went to Channel 4, who in the mid-noughties were busy convincing themselves and the rest of the UK radio industry that Channel 4 Radio was a viable business idea, and that a cheekier, cooler commercial radio alternative to the BBC's Radio 4 and Radio 2 was imminent. I was part of the team that piloted the Channel 4 News Morning Report podcast, waiting for the infrastructure to be put in place for the network to launch. Sadly, it never did, and Channel 4 abandoned the project in 2008. In June 2005, Apple released its latest iteration of iTunes, which for the first time included the ability to search and download podcasts. And a few months later, I saw an advert for the role of audio producer at The Guardian. The Guardian had been involved in podcasting since the medium's very earliest days, when it hosted the first series of the now legendary Ricky Gervais show. And actually, it was The Guardian journalist Ben Hammersley who coined the term podcasting in 2004. Online radio is booming, he wrote. 
But what to call it? Audio blogging? Podcasting? Guerrilla media? Yes, he really did think that audio blogging could catch on. Snigger. The Ricky Gervais Show on Guardian Unlimited. You're listening to Ricky Gervais with Steve Merchant and Carl Pilkington. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, now time for one of our regular features. Monkey news. Do the jingle. Oh, chimpanzee that monkey news. Right, what, what we're doing here is, right, is uh, just giving you a bit of bit of monkey news that's that's gone on, right, where a monkey's <laughs> been involved in it. Good little story in that. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with the one that went into space? The first, uh, the first sort of thing they ever sent up there before man did it and all that. You see, this is what annoys me with it, really. Armstrong gets all the, all the glory, but do you know who went up there before, before him? A monkey. Yeah. yeah. Dog but, went up first. But what was the monkey called? I don't know. No, sure, okay. So it's not the most informed news bulletin. The dog was called Lyca. Was I tuned yeah, into the Gervais podcast, diligently downloading them and going through the torturous transfer process in order to listen on the move on my very non-iTunes-compatible iRiver. But it was another programme that The Guardian was publishing that made an even stronger and lasting impression. Monday morning dawns round planet Earth with another two sides heading home and four more stepping up to the plate. No, Ronaldo is not that kind of plate. As the last 16 heats up. Sunday saw England survive a quite literally sickening performance against Ecuador to reach the quarterfinals. While last night they were brawling and a balling in one of the bizarrest World Cup clashes since the Battle of Santiago as Portugal beat Holland 1-0. Rob Smythe's got the minute-by-minute views on that. Sean Ingle watched the England game in uh, disbelief and Mike Adamson is on hand as well to disagree with both of them. Plus, we'll be looking forward to Monday's big games as the Swiss face Ukraine and Australia try and claim the finely permed scalp of Italy. SNBC Melbourne's Tony Shebeki is on the line from Down Under with word on the crazy scenes there so far. That's all coming up in today's World Cup show. The World Cup show was a ramshackle review of that summer's Hello, World Cup in Germany. It was recorded nightly in a broom cupboard on the sixth floor of the Guardian's old offices on the busy Farringdon Road. It was unlike anything I had ever heard before, a world away from what was being broadcast by the mainstream media, and it struck a chord with hordes of other football-loving 20-somethings. Whether The Guardian knew it or not, with Gervais and the World Cup show, the blueprint for successful roundtable, discussion-based podcasts was being created. Rough around the edges but recorded and edited professionally, the aesthetic was unique. Radio but not quite radio, all at the same time. The shows were honest and funny and appealed to a mostly male 18-39 to demographic. In Ricky Gervais and James Richardson, the podcast were hosted by talented and experienced broadcasters who brought with them sizeable and loyal audiences. Both programmes also had a brilliant cast of characters surrounding the respective hosts, each with distinctive voices and personalities. There was interactivity with the listeners, and certainly in the case of the World Cup show, there was even a catchy theme tune, which is always a bonus. Crucially, in order to build their audiences, the podcasts were free. Gervais had a new episode available every Monday for 12 weeks, while the World Cup show delivered a daily download every morning during the month-long tournament that summer. The Ricky Gervais show ran for five series and spawned video offshoots and three money-spinning HBO series. The World Cup show, meanwhile, successfully transitioned into Football Weekly for the start of the 2006-2007 season, with a new show released every Monday. A year later, it became a twice-weekly affair, with a Thursday show, Football Weekly Extra, added to the schedule. It's still free to download, has up to 2 million listeners every month, sells out live events around the UK, 
and recently introduced new documentary and interview strands. It remains the most popular sports podcast in the UK, winning multiple awards, and I've been in the extremely fortunate and privileged position of producing and managing it since 2009 under my pseudonym, Producer Ben. I'm just shuffling my papers because we've reached the end of today's podcast. Many thanks to Alan Smith. Thank you very much. Barry Glendening. Cheers. John Ashdown. <laughs> Raphael Onigstein. By the book. <coughs> and producer Ben. And you, listener, thanks for being with us on this A Bank Holiday. We'll be back Thursday and then again Thursday night for you lucky ones in Manchester. Have a great week till then. I joined The Guardian in November 2006 and brought myself an 80-gig iPod Classic to celebrate, which I still use to this day for the majority of my podding. The newspaper was looking to develop its online offering and build upon the success it had had with Gervais and Football Weekly by offering a broader range of podcasts produced and, where possible, presented by people with broadcast experience. Football Weekly and Science Weekly were soon joined by Tech Weekly, Music Weekly, Politics Weekly, The Books Podcast and a revamped media talk as the core podcasts. Sounds Jewish, Islamophonic, The Family Podcast, The Business, Environment Weekly, News Desk, Guardian Daily and The Week in Review would also all come and go. This is a Times Online podcast. Welcome to The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world, the new satirical podcast from Times Online, edition number one, Monday, October the 15th, 2007, with me, Andy Zaltzman, here in London, and in America, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, world. But most importantly, hello, Andy. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, so how is America? Elsewhere, The Times, The Telegraph, The New York Times, The Boston Globe, Slate, and several other media organisations were releasing their own podcasts while The Sun had its own online radio station, the short-lived and much-unloved Sun Talk. At the same time, the BBC began releasing more and more of its programmes on demand, finding newer, younger and global audiences for staples like the News Quiz and Just a Minute, which had already been running for close to 40 years on Radio 4. A similar thing was happening in America, where NPR, that's National Public Radio, the syndicator of 900 public radio stations, began putting out a number of its shows as podcasts, with a similar uptake from younger listeners. Programmes such as Car Talk, All Things Considered, Fresh Air and Wait Wait Don't Tell Me were soon joined by This American Life, whose makers had been offering digital downloads of its hour-long episodes for $4 a pop for several years, but were now making them available for free worldwide. From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Ira Glass, and this is our 500th episode. And what does that feel like? Well, it feels like both a milestone... And it feels like nothing. It feels like an odometer clicking over. I was talking to the show's senior... Bedroom podcasts were also popping up. Some good, some decent, some downright unlistenable. This, I hasten to add, is one of the best. Why weren't there more gags in the Queen's speech? Will I get sand in my pants if I drink sex on the beach? You know what we say, if we can kick off... The new medium had created a level playing field where anyone with a microphone, a computer and access to the internet could upload their content and see it sitting on iTunes alongside major publishers like the BBC, NPR, The Guardian and the rest. Steve Jobs described it as the next generation of radio and the New Oxford American Dictionary made podcast their word of the year for 2005. The first wave of podcasting was officially underway. 
Looking from the inside out, podcasting was the next big thing. The Guardian built four studios in its new offices to keep up with its own busy release schedule, which at its peak in 2009 was 15 hours of original content every week. We were using traditional broadcasting techniques to approximate radio, but didn't have the constrictions of Ofcom regulation, ad breaks or regular travel junctions and time checks to interrupt our programming. And, even though it was neither big nor clever, if we wanted to swear, we could. And we did, in our own very special way. Words like fuck also have completely their own grammar. They break all the rules. You can use them in any sense. I mean, there's, there's the, the, the sentences which completely just have the word fuck in slightly different ways uh, yeah, it's all fucking, over. It's, this is fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah. What the fuck is he doing? Yeah. Sweet fuck Why all. is that? Why is it that swear words have this special status? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and as someone interested in grammar and syntax, this is a real puzzle. Like, you know, what the fuck is going on with the expression, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What's the fuck doing? What the fuck is the fuck doing there? And I think the answer is that this is a case where the word, the use of the word is stripped to... We weren't restricted by time zones or geographical borders. We didn't have to hurry guests to finish an interview to get to the next segment. We were building big audiences around the globe, had a strong brand, and the sky was the limit. Our aim was to make the best radio not on the radio, and make programmes and cover topics that the BBC would not. Meanwhile, in America, comedians like Mark Maron and Adam Carolla began leading their own charge. Both had been fired from their radio jobs and started their own podcast in 2009. The Adam Carolla Show and WTF with Mark Maron have gone on to become mini-empires, with audiences in the millions and generating the two hosts significant amounts of money through advertising and sponsorship. Carolla releases a daily 90-minute comedy show, which does absolutely nothing for me, but that makes me somewhat unusual. It was, until recently, the most downloaded podcast of all time, clocking up close to 60 million downloads over a two-year period. WTF, on the other hand, is a show I cannot praise highly enough, and you're going to be hearing a lot about it in this series. All right, let's do the show. It's a good one. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucksters, what the fucking ears, what the fucking knots? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate your listenership. <laughs> what? Yeah, I do. But why am I? Sometimes I just talk and I don't even. Released twice a week, Marin's created his own podcast grammar and a style that is much imitated but seldom bettered. He begins each show with a five to ten minute monologue about what's on his mind what's in the news or what he's been up to, before segueing into the main interview section of the show. Calling it an interview, though, is doing it an enormous disservice. These are the most revealing, moving, intimate and emotive conversations you'll ever hear. Marin's guests are fellow comics, actors and musicians. They're creative types, unafraid to talk about their issues, safe in the company of their host, a self-confessed oversharer. I've been listening to WTF since 2010, when I was pointed in the direction of Marin's interview with the This American Life host Ira Glass, and so it was with an enormous sense of pride I listened to his conversation with Barack Obama, conducted, as all WTF interviews are, in Marin's garage. I want to, you know, before, like, I, I feel like we jumped right in the conversation, we which did. is good. It was quick. And uh, I am uh, I'm honored that you came, and, uh, and, and uh, it's, a, it's an amazing privilege for me to talk to you. Listen, I, the, I'm a big fan, and you know I, I love conversations like this because you know, if, if I thought to myself that uh, when I was in college that I'd be in a garage, yeah, a couple miles away from where I was living, doing an interview as with, president, as president <laughs> with a comedian, <laughs> I think that's a pretty hard scenario to uh, couldn't imagine it. 
it's not possible to imagine. No. That it is not, no, nobody could imagine. The Obama episode of WTF in June 2015 was a very big deal. Just why, many were asking, was the White House granting an hour-long interview with the leader of the free world to a comedian with no formal journalistic credentials? Well, the fact it was downloaded nearly 750,000 times within 24 hours of being posted online partly answers that question, and after a week that number had doubled to over 1.6 million. In many ways, Obama's visit confirmed that this is a special time for podcasting. In 2014, the latest update of the iPhone iOS featured Apple's own undeletable podcast app, and the following month, the world was introduced to Serial. Previously on Serial. What did he tell you? Um, he told me that she had broke his heart. It was extremely wrong for anyone to treat him that way. He was like the community's golden child. I think like the odds of you getting the charming sociopath, you're just not that lucky. You, you don't think that I know you at all? I mean, for you to say that I'm a great person, I mean, I'm like a nice person. I've only talked to you on the phone a few times. This is a global tell link prepaid call from... Adnan Sayed. An inmate at a Maryland Correctional Facility. This call will be recorded and monitored. Told over 12 episodes and expertly presented and produced by Sarah Koenig and many of the team schooled at This American Life, Serial was an absolute blockbuster. It was the fastest podcast to reach 5 million streams or downloads on iTunes and it's now been downloaded more than 90 million times. Not at all shabby, especially when you consider the programme makers thought they would max out at 300,000 downloads. Serial was a cultural phenomenon that made podcasting both sexy and serious. Brands wanted to advertise and become sponsors. Investors wanted a piece of the action. Media companies, whose initial interest had cooled since the first podcasting boom, wanted to create their own podcasts, and advertising agencies were suggesting their clients dip their toes into audio once more. Why? Because compared to video, podcasts are far cheaper to produce, can reach a wider audience over a longer life cycle, and have a far greater level of audience engagement. In all my time working in audio, there's never been an instance of a programme getting anywhere near as many column inches or being talked about with such fervour as Serial. People who'd never listened to a podcast before were getting excited about the way in which they consumed this gut-wrenching story about the murder of a teenage girl and the questionable conviction of her boyfriend that was unfolding and changing in real time. Many listeners engaged in their own sleuthing, piecing together their own theories which would then be discussed on air in future episodes. They could listen in their own time and on the move. It didn't matter if they missed an episode or were late to the party. The entire back catalogue was right there, waiting to be downloaded. Besides an utterly compelling narrative, Siri was also the beneficiary of technological advances. The process of opening iTunes, refreshing your podcast subscriptions, downloading a new podcast onto your computer and then syncing it to your iPod had always been clunky and time-consuming. With the prevalence of smartphones and 4G, however... More and more people are bypassing standalone MP3 players and listening on their phones. New apps like Pocket Casts and Beyond Pod mean that downloading or streaming can be done with a single swipe, click or tap. And unlike video, audio is not data heavy, so you can stream a 30 or 40 minute podcast while you're in the gym, walking the dog, pushing a buggy or on your daily commute, safe in the knowledge you're not eating into your expensive data plan. In-car listening is also on the rise due to modern audio systems and improved Bluetooth connectivity. Podcasting has always been a mobile medium, but never more so than now. In 
2013, Apple reported that its iTunes store had passed 1 billion podcast subscriptions. The company went on to predict that its iOS users would listen to 7 billion podcasts the following year. With those sorts of numbers, and with programmes as compelling as Serial, as vital as WTF, and as beloved as Football Weekly and the rest, podcasting is here to stay. It's the medium by which long-running radio programmes reach newer, younger audiences, and it's also the creative space where some of the most innovative audio is being crafted. With podcasts, the speech is edgier, the sound design more adventurous, the content more dynamic and intimate, and the rules are still being made. So that's your history lesson over. In the next episode of Podcast Master, I'll be telling you all about the equipment and the software you need to get yourself started as a podcaster and the techniques you can employ to make your show better and reach the biggest audience. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to rate, review, share and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget too that this is an abridged version of my ebook, which is available everywhere you can download digital books and it's not very expensive either. I'm Ben Green. You can follow me at Green Ben Green on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.